1: Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com.
2: Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. It disappears at the end of the month and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. Today's episode deals with the legacy of indigenous residential schools. It's not for all listeners. One way to lay claim to a place is to tell its story. When you tell the story of a place, you get to decide when the place started, what the beginning is. You get to tell people what happened there and why the place matters. If the story of a place is yours to tell, it kind of makes it seem like the place is yours too. Take, for example, the story of Wood Buffalo National Park.
3: The first national park in Canada was created in 1885, in the north of the country. That minute park of only 26 square kilometres was the embryo of one of the largest national parks in the world. Its role was to conserve the flora and fauna of the American boreal forests, and, in particular, the wood buffalo, a largely unknown subspecies, which provided both the name and the raison d'etre, for this new nature reserve. The Wood Buffalo National Park covers an area of 44,900 square kilometers, almost one and a half times the size of Belgium. It provides an unspoiled example of the landscape that predominates in Canada.
2: The story that is told about Wood Buffalo National Park is usually told by a disembodied European voice, hovering, godlike all-seeing over the vast, rugged wilderness. The main characters in the story of Wood Buffalo Park in that documentary are, unsurprisingly, buffalo. Although, as you will hear in, in more detail, many of the buffalo that were supposed to be preserved by establishing this nature reserve were not animals that were, in fact, indigenous to the land, These were Plains buffalo, ill-suited to that environment, and they brought with them diseases when they were shipped in. Meanwhile, the people who are indigenous to that land, the Dene, well, they got like a cameo
3: in the story. The pelicans are not the only ones to catch fish in Wood Buffalo. The original inhabitants of this area are the Dean Indians, The Cree settled here in the lower part of the river piece relatively recently.
4: Their descendants
3: still exploit the natural resources here using traditional methods. Okay, what you just heard,
2: that those who remain in Wood Buffalo are Cree and not Dene, it's Dene, not Dean, well, the truth is very different. In fact, the Dene were expelled from Wood Buffalo National Park, and many of the Cree who remain... And you just heard that the Cree settled there in the lower part of the river piece relatively recently. Well, those recent settlers are, are in fact, in no way recent. They have been there for thousands and thousands of years. There's also a sizable Métis community that uh, goes unmentioned in that documentary. All of this may sound confusing because it is. So let's throw away that telling of the story and start again. We sent journalist and author Brandy Morin to Wood Buffalo National Park. We sent her to Fort McMurray, Alberta, and then hundreds of kilometers north to Fort Chippewan, and then, yes, into the land of Wood Buffalo National Park. in order to bring you this story, the real story of that land and its people. people who, though expelled, never truly left the land and who want that land back. Wait for it. This episode is brought to you by Peter Shepard, Ian Reynolds, Darren Sharp, Mark Cusack, Chris Foster, Nicole Jowett, Gabriel Logan, and Dave. My name is David and I'm a Toronto-based writer, editor, and writing and communications prof. I'm also a long-time supporter of Canada Land. I first supported Canada Land because I believe that a healthy media landscape requires robust media criticism. I've continued to support Canada Land because it has grown into one of the country's most vital and
3: diverse media outlets, supporting excellent journalism and journalists, of course, through the site and its many podcasts.
0: What comes to mind when you think of Canada's beloved national parks? For many, they conjure images of a vast and stunning wilderness, places of serenity and connection with nature. These coveted parks are protected by the federal government, 37 national parks and 10 national park reserves spread out across over 336,000 square kilometers. But these beloved spaces hold dark secrets. They were created at the expense of the Indigenous peoples who had lived there for time immemorial. These people were violently cast out of their homelands to create these parks. But now, The natives who were expelled are speaking up. This is the story of one of those nations. Their territory spans throughout the largest national park in Canada, Wood Buffalo National Park. I learned about the 100th anniversary of the creation of the Wood Buffalo National Park online. The Athabasca Chippewan First Nation, or ACFN for short, had rebuked the celebration of the Park Centennial and undertook an initiative to tell the truth of their expulsion through social media. It's a painful and ugly truth. And it happened in an era when Dene families were already dealing with dire, life altering circumstances, such as devastating epidemics, an influx of settlers and industry the residential school system, and the growing power and control by colonial invaders. I met with second-generation survivors of the expulsion who told me they want their land back. Fort Chippewan, often called Fort Chip, is a hamlet perched on the western tip of Lake Athabasca, about 223 kilometres north of Fort McMurray. It's adjacent to Wood Buffalo Park, only about a 20-minute boat ride away. To journey there from central Alberta, I drove up to Fort McMurray first. There, I met with the former chief of the Mikosu Cree Nation, whose territory overlaps with the ACFN. Lawrence Corderay was chief of the Mikasoo for seven years in the 1970s and 80s. He is Cree and Dene, which is common with many people in Fort Chippewa as you'll soon come to learn. Shields a little bit from that wind. <laughs> Tansay, how are you?
5: Good, good. I'm Lawrence.
0: Lawrence, nice to meet you. Brandy. Brandy. Yes.
5: Where are you from?
0: I'm from Michelle First Nation, actually. Just...
5: Actually, I might have connections there. Oh, really? Yeah, my grandfather's originally from around uh, River Cabar and
0: Oh, wow. that area. I heard Fort Chip is stunning. It's a and... totally
5: different country. Because we're right on the shield, eh?
0: What does that mean?
5: Tonight? Well, the shield, I'm from Ontario all the way north. There's the Canadian shield that goes right across Canada. And it ends just outside of Fort Chip because it's all granite rock, and when you fly there, you'll see that uh, we're part of the marshland, the grass, and suddenly, you're looking across the lake, and it's all rock. Yeah. That's where... Really?
0: Yeah, it's amazing. The region has boreal forest, caribou mountains, northern plains, and intricate waterways like rivers, creeks, streams, and lakes. The park straddles the northeastern Alberta and southern Northwest Territories border. It sits on the ancestral territories of the Cree, Dene, and Métis. It's a landscape described by Indigenous elders as a pharmacy, full of medicines to gather, a retreat, a spa, a place to heal. The ACFN identify as Kai Tala Dene, meaning the people of the land of the willow. They are signatories to Treaty 8, a covenant made to acknowledge their inherent and cultural connection to the land and cement their rights through their pact with the crown. But less than 25 years after the treaty was signed, the Canadian government established the Wood Buffalo National Park to sustain remnants of bison without properly consulting the First Nations who lived there. Lawrence told me how his Dene mother and aunts were forced to become Makisoo Cree band members. They had to choose that or leave their homes in the Birch River settlement, located in the Wood Buffalo Park. The federal government created an annex and permit system for the First Nations in the park and imposed a membership transfer from the Chippewan band to the Cree band In 1944, some I talked to say it was easier for the feds to deal with the natives living in the park if they were all just under one band. A report conducted by the ACFN records that elders believed the transfer was forced by park's administration and may have been a deliberate effort to further limit who could access the park. Lawrence said... His mother refused to leave. What
5: happened there was uh, they had asked uh, our mothers our, our, or our ancestors at Rich River if they would want to join up with the, uh, the Basquiat One group. And they said, no, we're, this is our traditional land. And uh, that's where they stayed. So as a result of that, what they did is they integrated that whole denny group that was there into the Cree Right now, the population of Denny people in uh, Makasuk Cree is probably close to a little over 50%.
0: Denny and Cree tribes were eventually forced out of the park, sometimes at gunpoint, and scattered throughout Alberta and the Northwest Territories. Some moved to designated reserve lands outside of the park. Others ended up in Fort Chippewan. Fort Chippewan is touted as Alberta's oldest community because it served as a bustling trading post dating back to 1788. But the indigenous peoples traded and warred there with other tribal nations for thousands of years before.
5: We need to sit down with um, the province and the federal government to talk about now that you've taken so much of our land and our resources we are now our own government, with our own laws, and we need to share in those resources.
0: Lawrence is one of thousands of survivors of Canada's brutal residential school legacy. Do you see the parallels between being a survivor and having to continually fight for your rights and what's yours here?
5: Oh, I think it's very clear. The residential school system was uh, to take the Indian away from the, the kids and take them away from their influence of their parents. Uh, We got to see our parents uh, two months of the year. And uh, right about now, we'd be in residential school and the end of August is still a thing in my system that I, I get depressed because we're counting the days of when we're going back into residential school. I think they did an excellent job of destroying the family structure and taken away a lot of the culture, and I don't speak my, either of my languages fluently, although I understand Cree and I understand Dene. My mother was Dene, spoke to me often in Dene. But I think that uh, what they've done is uh, totally destroyed a, a, a couple of generations of our people. And uh, right now they are First Nation, and I think uh, the Athabasca Chipewyan First Nation are doing every effort to try and bring back the culture and the language. We need that. Uh, That's the only way we have uh, our nations uh, living or staying in Canada or this part of the country is if we have our traditional lands Mm -hmm. and we have our traditional language with our traditional knowledge and our traditional medicines.
0: Fort Chip is only accessible by boat, plane, or ice road. So the next morning, I took a nine-seater prop plane to get there. It sure gets off the ground quick, compared to the big plains, hey? Wow. I can see the Athabasca River that flows around Fort McMurray area. The mighty Athabasca, the ancient highway of all the Indigenous nations that have lived in these territories for millennia. It wasn't too long until we flew over a portion of the tar sands. Pollution and contamination from this massive project has been wreaking havoc on the people of Fort Chip for decades, which is downstream. A rare disease called bile duct cancer has claimed the lives of dozens of community members. And they don't drink the water from the Athabasca lake because it's unsafe. I was looking forward to seeing the last, somewhat healthy, traditional territories they have left within the Wood Buffalo Park, even though the ACFN have had little to no access to it since they were kicked out. So we're getting closer into Fort Chippewaunga and from the air, the ground below is lush, with forests and marsh and muskeg and rivers and lakes that go on and on and on. Some of the lakes look dark and musky, some are green, some are blue, and it just looks like a vast, untouched wilderness. When I landed in Fort Chip, I met Jay Telaji, senior manager of intergovernmental affairs with ACFN. He filled me in on some of the background of the park. So,
6: in 1922, the park was created, just the north part of it. Yeah. And what they did was they took these bison down from the south, and they were like plains bison, Mm -hmm. they were not wood bison. Yeah. And so the bison were like, well, this. Boreal forest isn't for us. And so they started, (laughs) they started migrating south to try and get to the the plains. And so it went outside the boundaries of the park. And so they had to double the size of the park and make a whole southern half. And so that has the the park today. Mm -hmm.
0: The making of it is ironic in itself. Canada created it to protect one of the last free roaming herds of wood bison even though European colonizers were at the helm of wiping out the buffalo populations in the first place. There were once tens of millions of these majestic animals thriving in the prairies of what's now called North America. The colonizers knew the native people depended on the bison for survival, so government leaders orchestrated a bloody massacre to eradicate them. By 1890, there were fewer than 1,000 bison left. But the bison the government first brought in to preserve and protect weren't actually wood bison. They were prairie bison shipped in from a farm in southern Alberta. When were the bison brought in out there?
6: They were brought in from Karstead, I think 1922. And the idea was like to sell them. Like they had a slaughterhouse at a place called, or an abattoir, I guess, at a place called Sweetgrass.
3: Yeah.
6: And you know, you talk to Jumbo Frazier, he's like a Metis guy. He's like, oh, I used to, you know, we used to do like a bison, like a crew of like six guys or whatever. Then they have all the, all the equipment to do it. He's like, we would do a bison in like 10 minutes. We would fillet it or whatever you do, right?
3: Fillet
6: a bison. Well, we not, you know what I mean, but they would, yeah. they used to sell them in New York City. They would be like, oh, a wood bison from Alberta, Canada. And that's what they wanted to do. But they wouldn't let the local people catch them or hunt them.
0: Like the Indigenous. Yeah,
6: and that's how it went. And, that, and that's how it is for everything, like any timber rights or commercial yeah. fishing rights. Never went to the Indigenous people. Yeah.
0: After the Klondike Gold Rush of 1897, the Canadian government was eager to extinguish Aboriginal title in order to snap up and exploit natural and mineral resources. The Crown signed Treaty 8 with the First Nations in their unceded lands of the Wood-Buffalo region in 1899. It included Lake Athabasca, Great Slave Lake, and areas around the Peace River region. And the government's plan to relocate the Plains Bison to the north didn't work out so well. They were already sick with tuberculosis when they came. And then they got anthrax, which some still carry today. Wood Buffalo Park is a UNESCO heritage site. It's also home to bears, wolves, moose, deer, caribou, and beavers. It's the world's last remaining nesting place for the whooping crane, which is severely close to extinction. And the park itself is endangered due to the oil sands and major dams on the Peace River. The water levels are too low.
6: The big theme of everything is low water. It's not enough water, not enough water. We can't get into certain rivers. We can't access certain hunting grounds because of it. Does that
0: cause by climate change? Is that caused by development in the oil sands or industry? What what causes that, Do you know?
6: So th- I'd say three things. One, yes, climate change for sure. Industry, because they do take water. They've got, like, on the way here from just up the Athabasca, I saw three giant, I'm talking like the size of a supermarket, water intakes along the Athabasca, so there's that. But then the biggest thing is Site C Dam, or at least BC Hydro. They hold water back, and then they release it without coordinating with us, even though we have, like, an agreement, right? So there's times where, like, dying for water, and it's so dry, and they won't give us any. And then there's other times when it's in the middle of a flood already and they release four times the average daily flow for 47 days straight without telling us and it's like flooded The, the chief lost his cabin we lost his plus 20 cabins in this this is all bc hydro okay so we've got problems with them so anyway so we we're going to try and assess or attest to this and demonstrate this to UNESCO, and there's one point where one of the women, the delegates from UNESCO, sees a boy in the water. She's like, what's that? We're like, oh, we have to put that there because of low water. And it's like, so I'm trying to make a point. like, here we are in the biggest lake in Alberta, and we have to have buoys up because there's too much low water in the middle of the lake. You're to change
4: your mind here when you get out there.
0: Oh, yeah, look at it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> ACFN chief Alan Adam took me and Jay out in his boat to get to the boundaries of the park. It was windy out. And the water rough. How long does it take to get to like the boundaries of the park? Oh, well, if it, if it wasn't like this, we'd we'll be there in five minutes. Oh, really? Wow, it's that cold. Now, Chief Adam is famous for being straight up. He doesn't beat around the bush when it comes to advocating for the rights of his community.
4: Mm, we are direct yeah. people. Like, we, don't, we don't hold nothing back, and the yeah. elders are like that, right? Correct me that's, if I'm wrong. Yeah, no, 100%. Like, yeah. You, what you see me, that's right. what they've given me, to be direct and don't bullshit. Yeah, you know? and yeah. They say straight out, you are the chief of the nation, you represent the nation, you don't walk away with a forked tongue. Yeah. I said, what do you mean, forked tongue? You don't say one thing and walk away and say another thing that you stick to your quotes and that's it. Yeah. When have you ever seen me change my word?
0: Yeah. We stopped the boat on a stretch of the river next to the park. The water was too choppy to make the trek across the mouth of the Peace River to the former Birch River settlement. That's where Chief Adams grandmother was expelled from.
4: All these things here would never have happened if the ACFN was here because we would have voiced our opinion and our concern. Because realistically, in real time, when you think about it, this land, everybody that occupies it today, occupies it on stolen land. And, and that is the word coming from Chief Alan Atta. Because we were forced to be removed from here by gunpoint if have to, and shot if necessary. That was
0: what my granny had told me when she had to move. Parks Canada burnt his grandmother's house to the ground.
4: All I know is that the whole family was removed from the park. Like my granny's family, cousins, every one of them. Um,
0: And they literally burnt her house down.
4: Literally burnt her house down. All her sibling stuff, everything that she had. Everything that you think of family would have in a home, and it was a two-story house, log house.
0: And they probably built it with their
4: hands? Built it with their hands, and there were about, I don't know how many, 50 houses, I think, something like that in that area. Foundations are still there and stuff like that, and um, it was a sad scene for them to wake up one day and can't go home.
0: And they probably just felt powerless at the time, but now you are in a position of power.
4: Well, you know, it's... I guess when you look at it from that perspective, you have to understand that they didn't understand the power they had back in the day. Mm. Because the power I have today, they possessed the same power ever since the Treaty of China. Mm.
0: His grandfather got sick and needed medical care,
4: her husband died at Birch River. He brought him in to see the doctor in Fort Chip. He passed away here in Fort Chip. She was gonna take her kids back to, to her home in Birch River and the park warden said, because you're Denny, if you wanna go back there, you have to become a Cree. And she said no, she wanted to hold her Denny's uh, title. They burnt her house down completely, all of her kids' clothes, everything. My granny never got her foot back on the on her right path for about maybe 20 years after. How I know this? My dad was born in 1936, uh, 14 years after her house was burnt down over here when she found she stayed with my grandpa back then. Uh, he came out of the residential school in 1950. Why? Because my granny did not have a house. What was the reason for that? Because it was burnt down over here. You see the impacts of what had happened and transpired over the years and the people that benefited from it and everything while ACFN, we just sat back. And if we came into the park hunting, we were hunting illegally.
2: This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at CAMH.ca CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope.
0: After the First Nations were expelled from their territory there, Canada's Wood Buffalo Park, Dominion Forest Reserves and Parks Act stated
2: no person shall enter the Wood Buffalo Park unless he holds a permit from the superintendent of the park authorizing his entry to the said Wood Buffalo Park. And any person found within the park boundaries without the necessary permission from the superintendent may be summarily removed from the park by the order of the superintendent.
0: ACFN Elder George Flett Told me he defied those orders in the 1980s. His mother and her family were forced from the park when she was a baby. Uh,
7: my mother was born in 1927 at Birch River, which is in the heart of uh, Wood National Park. At the age of two years old, she was a sibling when uh, the park was established, and they were forced out of the national park. Our grandparents, I guess, John and I, and. I've always had a grudge on a national park over that, because uh, I don't think it was right. I mean, they came here to establish a national park, not to kick out a nation.
0: He said he finally had enough of Parks Canada ordering him around in his own lands. He was a hunter, a trapper, fisherman, and wanted to provide for his mother and his family.
7: So the one time back in the 1980s, I think, in mid-80s or something and then my mom was at home and I told him that I, I'm going to a national park to go ice fishing and she was uh, very terrified. She thought I was going to get thrown in jail and and so forth and I called Parks Canada up. I told him exactly where I was going to be so I didn't take my skidoo or anything because I know they're going to apprehend everything that I own. I just had a hook, my backpack and a chisel and then I went to push River and They met me there, and they charged me.
0: He was able to fight the charges with the help of a lawyer from the Alberta Indian Association. By the way, before 1951, First Nations were banned from obtaining legal representation under the Indian Act. The charges were dropped. These days, Chief Adam says it's time to deport Parks Canada out of his territory.
4: I don't know how you would look at Wood Buffalo National Park of reconciliation. Um,
0: They're supposed to be righting the wrongs, right?
4: They haven't changed anything in my view in that regard. Um, we know for a fact that we are not uh, pawns in this game and we're not going to be playing that pawn game. Why do we fight over land that colonialism made it happen? You know, with their beliefs and their... I don't know what it is about them that just seems to just... Diminishes life altogether and when you look at the surroundings and everything and stuff like that, you know, in 1905, all this was pristine, beautiful, clean and all that. 1922, it was still beautiful, clean and everything. What happened ever since then? What happened to the state? What happened to the water? What happened to everything? Why is the Delta drying up? Mm. Nobody has given us any answers.
0: And it was pristine for thousands of years thousands and drying of years. up and decimated in less than a hundred.
4: Yeah, less than a hundred years. Yet. All because of Confederation. Mm. A little over a hundred years, 122 years Confederation. And now we have to live with it.
0: What would you say to Canada Parks? you know, if you're face-to-face with them right now?
4: Uh, Maybe I'd give them their eviction notice. You know, it's rightfully so. A hundred years in the making. But that's wishful thinking. In reality, we have to understand that we still have to work together. The sad scenario is that we were removed, and the end result will be that hopefully that we will be welcomed back here again and that we will be able to live in harmony together.
0: If that doesn't happen, there are many Indigenous nations that are just reclaiming their territories on their own. Do you think it would come to that, do you think the Feds will work with you?
4: They will work with us. They don't want us to come here and claim our territory. And I've given the officials of parks and ministers of uh, Canada for uh, parks that uh, I'm going to give you your eviction notice Because uh, your 100-year lease is up, and if you want to talk about a lease again, you talk to ACFN, the original owners of this land, before anybody else. And we're not going to take a backstand to you guys anymore, and that's the way it's going to stand.
0: The ACFN are taking their culture and traditions back. Despite their waterways being polluted by industry, they still hunt, trap, and fish in their territories. I visited a fish camp on ACFN's Jackfish Reserve about an hour's boat ride northeast of Fort Chip. There were dozens of community members, volunteers, some archeologists, and even a few scientists on hand to track the health of the fish. ACFN members caught hundreds of whitefish over about a week's time in early September from the Lake Athabasca. Then they were filleted, dried, canned, and set aside for Elders and ACFN members. It was a joyous time for them. But when I arrived, two fish with large deformities were found in the catch. Concerned community members gathered around to gasp at the sight. They're familiar with fish that have odd growths because of the pollution from industry, but it's still a sight to see
2: whether they're cancerous or not you have no idea it's def- this is definitely abnormal cell growth of yeah. some sort so we can i can take a section of that and send it to the lab and see what, what it is i'll take that one too i'll get some i'll see if we have any
0: i witnessed firsthand the effects of industry on the people of Fort Chip at this camp when i met elder Alice Rigney she lives in Fort Chip but gets out on the land as often as she can
1: That's my nephew, Warren John Simpson. He just passed in 2019? Yeah, he died of that rare bile cancer. What?
0: Her nephew's remains were in an urn next to a cabin at the camp.
1: How old was he then? 49. And he's cremated. There's an urn here, but we're going to move him to the cemetery later on. And this is the house I grew up in. Now it's abandoned because look at just wow. falling apart.
0: Alice is Denny and direct like Chief Adam. She was born on the shores of the Lake Athabasca and raised on the banks of the river at this fish camp known as Jackfish. She lived a traditional lifestyle with her late husband after surviving the Holy Angels Residential School in Fort Chippewan.
1: I'm an Athabasca, Chippewan First Nation elder. I was born in Fort Chip, left for education, was in a mission for 12 years, you know, in the residential school. Became a social worker, and now I teach the Dene language.
0: Wow, that's so beautiful. Your language didn't get taken completely from you.
1: It was taken completely from me, but I think part of my recovery is uh, to regain my language and culture, which I did.
0: Wow, that's beautiful. Yeah. Alice comes from a long line of fishers, hunters, trappers and gatherers. She says the health of the land there is diminishing and fast. When it comes to Wood Buffalo Park, she says the government doesn't know how to care for the lands of the people who have lived there for millennia. Because we, the people of the land, the land takes
1: care of us and so we take care of the land, so, you know, we're part of it. When I speak my language, you know, my ancestors are t- listening to me and the land understands what I'm saying. And so that ecosystem was upset by the park bringing in deceased uh, buffalo, bison, and, and it just went down. But it was the attitude of the park rangers, you know, that
0: uh, the aboriginal, the indigenous people, pretty well lived in fear. Alice and her late husband taught community members how to fish, hunt, and process meat and hides. Sometimes they'd host tourists out on their territories, but they'd be surveilled by park wardens.
1: And they're not trustworthy. They don't trust anybody because when my husband and I used to go in the park with tourists, we'd have to go into the park, sign up, say where we're going, for how long, Uh, We know all, you know, the checklists, you know, and when we leave, guaranteed, about two hours, they're behind us. You know, that kind of Mm -hmm. behavior from parks made it very difficult to appreciate them because they also had the uniform, you know, and uniforms are uh, not the healthiest uh, thing that will make people comfortable.
0: Her grandmother, mother and aunt also lived within the park's boundaries but were forced to either leave or become Mikasoo Cree band members. So can you tell me about the Wood Buffalo National Park and what you know of the expulsion of your people from there?
1: My granny was there. My granny and her two daughters, my mom and my auntie, were living at uh, House Lake, House River. And when the park came and was recreated using colonization. They still do to this day. They gave the people there a choice. If they stayed, they became Cree Band members. And what do I think about it? I am very upset about it. And a hundred years later.
0: I also met with an elder named Margot Vermilion at her home in Fort Chip. She's lived there all her life. Margot is now 67 a respected community leader and former social worker. Sweetgrass and sage was burning in her kitchen when I arrived. Oh, that smell is beautiful. She's hoping to reconnect with the homelands of her mother. Her mother and grandparents were also chased out of the park. It's a long and complicated story because her mother's family was Dene but they were coerced into becoming Cree band members. Okay, my name is Margot Vermillion,
8: born and raised in Fort Chipewyan, and I'm a Dene Cree woman. I do belong to the Mikisu Cree First Nations. My mom was born in 1916. My mom's name is Maria Vermillion. So my grandparents were Isidore and Sarazen Shortman, And they lived in Birch River.
0: That's, you know, out of Fort Chip, And their homestead was in Birch River. Margot described an idyllic life that her mother told her about where she grew up in Birch River. Settle in to hear about the legends of her family's kinship there. My mom talked about, you know, a two-story log building that they had there for
8: the winter months. They were nomadic people. They only lived in their log house in the colder months. Springtime, after trapping season was over, they would get in their skiff. It's a boat, right? Skiff. And they would travel. They would follow the animals on their way. They would do fishing. They would make the dry meat, dry fish, follow the birds, the geese, the ducks and they would collect and gather because they you know they knew that come winter you know they would need to stock up for the winter months when my mom would tell me that story it was such a beautiful story i would think of it as a land of abundance when she talked about you know her life and she always would say to me you know what my girl we weren't rich but we had everything
0: they were very very self-sufficient. Life wasn't easy then. It was hard work, Margot explained. But they were happy, fed, and loved. They lived off the land and respected the land like their previous generations of ancestors.
8: You know, she would say, we never had a chance to play because all we did was work, work, work as children. But she said it was good because she learned everything, you know, from her family, from her mom, from her aunties, from her cookums. She even talked about how they used to make their own soap out of bones. They would boil the bones. Sometimes it took like a couple of days to boil the bones. And when they're boiling, there was a white kind of like a foam, and they would collect that foam. And that's how they used to make their own soap. So she said, you know, like making bear grease. They had grease like you wouldn't believe, containers and containers of grease. They had geese grease, you know, um, moose grease. They had buffalo grease. You name it, they had the different kind of grease. They knew they had to collect that for the winter months and then they would make the dry fish, and they had dry fish coming out of the ears. She would literally stand there as a, when she was young and just help make dry fish, dry fish, dry fish. But when she used to live in the bush, she said, you know what, she said, we had so much to do. There was moose hides that had to be scraped, smoking the hides, you know, there was. And she said, we used to make uh, birch bark baskets, she said, you know, to put the berries in and that. We used everything out on the land, she said. Her dad, my grandfather, used to make a trip in the fall. The last trip, you know, he used to come and sell his furs, and he used to come back, and that skiff was just overloaded. It had cases and cases of dried fruit prunes and apricots and dried apples and the sugar and just the staples like that and then she said he even used to buy rolls and rolls of material for her mom you know because she used to sew the clothes so he used to bring all of that back and so that was good for the fall and in the fall now her uncles and her dad used to go out and cut the hay. Bales and bales of hay, you know, the wild hay. And stacks and stacks of hay. That was for the dogs. They treated their dogs so, so well because the dogs were their transportation in the winter. And in the fall, they also used to go uh, fishing. And my mom said they had a huge you know where you park your cars but it was open like that and they had racks and racks and racks of fish in there and those fish would dry and those fish were for the dogs for all winter you know because they had to feed their dogs and they were ready
0: for the winter months. It was good times. The family units were intact. There was no such thing as addictions or homelessness. And they would eat together, and they would tell stories together, and the kids
8: would play together, you know, she said. And they would dance. They would have music. They would pull out their, you know, fiddles, you know, and they would have a dance in the house, you know, and there was no alcohol, no nothing. Then
0: came the missionaries.
8: The priests would make visits to the settlement there and go into the families' houses and talk to them about God. And if you don't uh, take the word of God, then you know you're going to hell, all of that, right? Really kind of put fear into them. Because prior to that, my mom said they used to pray. They prayed together as a family, not
0: in a church, but you know, just prayed together. Her mother told her more priests and white people soon arrived and called a meeting in the settlement. They told her parents they had to move from there, hundreds of kilometers away where the government was making a reserve, in Jackfish Lake and in old Fort Chippewan, which is located outside the boundaries of where Fort Chip is now. They didn't want to move to a territory they were unfamiliar with. We don't belong there. That's not our
8: land. We don't know, you know, that land. We don't know the waters. We don't know the animals there. We belong here in Birch River. We know, and they know us here, right? It's what her dad would say. She would hear him talking to her mom. And he said, you know, we can't move from here. My relatives are buried here. They have a huge burial site there. And so that's what the white people that came there wanted them. They had an ultimatum. You either move to the reserve, uh, the new reserve that, you know, we've given to the Dene people at Jackfish Lake and Old Fort, or else if you don't move, then you're going to be turned into a... Uh, Cree band members they didn't resist because they feared they feared what would happen so how did they really feel I often wonder having to make that decision they didn't want to leave their land so they signed a big X saying they'll stay and so they were turned into Cree people you know, just overnight. And Cree people and Dene people are completely different. The language is completely different. Their ways of doing things are completely different. The way they understand the world is completely different.
0: Her mother passed away several years ago at the age of 93.
8: And when I think about it today and I see how she was longing to be back in her own land. And I think about it and I think, how can all of a sudden she be a Cree woman when she's actually a Dene woman? That must have really hurt them. But yet our people were taught to be silent, to not express, to not fight to not say what it is they really felt back then, right? They were afraid of the non-native people. They saw the non-native people as superior people. They were afraid because the white people had the police, the white people had the missionaries, the white people had the government that had stronger voices than they did. So my mom said, after all of that happened, she saw where her dad almost withered away in his Mm well-being. I mean, these people were proud Dene people that were self-sufficient and all of a sudden one day to be told, you're no longer Dene, you're Cree now. I mean, I can't comprehend that even today. Today, I feel the effects of being from that clan. I belong to the Mikisu Cree band today. I have their treaty number, but my heart is Dene. And my heart will always be Dene. You know, when I see um, and I, and I think about what my mom, my grandparents must have gone through. You know, it hurts my heart because today I sit in I sit in a Mikasoo band, and I sit there and I think, I don't belong here. I don't belong in this band. I know it. My heart is telling
0: me. So you were raised here in Fort Chip. How old were you when you learned the truth of that you were Dene and was it always or no, did you understand no i had
8: i didn't understand i had no understand no comprehension but i never really really paid attention to it until when i was in my 30s when i said to her one day mom you never tell me about when you lived in the residential school like what happened at the residential school did anything happen to you and she's like no she didn't want to talk about it She didn't want to say one word about it. And today I think about it and I think, I wonder if she really still feared the white god that if she said anything that she would be punished, right? I thought about that. And then just three weeks ago, we had a sharing circle here in the community. And so I thought to myself, I'm not ready to share. I'm really not ready to share my experience.
0: Has you attended?
8: I attended residential yeah. school for eight years. Mm. And I thought, I can't, I, I'm not ready to share. Mm-hmm. I don't even share with my own kids mm. about what really happened to me in the residential school. They know I've gone there. They know I didn't like it. And that's about it, mm. right? The rest of the deep hurts, you know, of the abuses the physical, the sexual, your mental, and spiritual abuse, Mm. I don't talk to my children about. And then I thought, I wonder if that's why my mom didn't tell me. I wonder if maybe she didn't want me to carry her. Mm -hmm. Her traumas, her burdens, her pains, maybe that's why she didn't want to share with me. Mm. Because that's exactly how I feel today. Do I want my children to carry my pains and my burdens on their shoulder for the rest of their life? How can they grow if they keep carrying this around? You know, I want them to fly,
0: fly free. Margot's ancestors are buried in Birch River, including her grandfather. Archaeologists have been working with ACFN to map out the former settlements, which include Birch River, House Lake, and Peace Point, locate burial sites and landmarks in the ACFN quest to prove they existed there long before Parks Canada took it over. Get that. They have to provide evidence of their ancestors in their own homelands in order to try to gain the right to have access to it again. Up until recently, any Indigenous person that tried to go back home was threatened at gunpoint, arrested, or harassed and surveilled by Parks Canada. Thus, their sustenance by hunting or trapping wild food was cut off, and many families began starving. Not only were their children being forcibly removed and sent to residential schools, but they were forced to depend on the government for rations, which had rounded them up on reserves, or in this case, the hamlet of Fort Chip. The building that was once the Holy Angels Residential School in Fort Chip burned down in August. Chief Adam, with the support of elders and the ACFN, has vowed to rebuild it. Even though it represents pain to many survivors, many community members still worship there, get married, and hold funerals there. The building holds a deep and complicated history, and that history is important to them. Yet, Fort Chip will never fully feel like home to Margot.
8: I want to go to Birch River. I want to go see the gravesite. I want to lay on the ground that you know my ancestors has walked on. I want to feel their presence. I want to feel them. I want them. I need to ask them to give me strength. I need for them to give me directions.
0: What do you think your mom would think about uh, reclaiming and getting back Birch River? Oh I tell you
8: I think the day that you know we get to reclaim Birch River as our uh, traditional lands again. I think my ancestors would be so happy to be able to know that, you know what, their children, grandchildren, are returning back to that land. Here I am sitting in Fort Chep, worried about how I'm gonna get my next barrel of fuel, you know, which is 300 and something, one barrel, to heat up my house. Whereas if I was in Birch River, you know, I would have a wood stove And, you know, live comfortably over there without having to worry about power or electricity. You know, I grew up without electricity or fuel. I just need somewhere to call my home where I feel like
0: I belong, you know, my roots. Canada has control over that park and over your territories. What are your thoughts about that?
8: well we need to do something now we need to stand up and say look it you know what we want our land back we want where our traditional lands have always been we want that given back to our people you've done enough to hurt our people we've just been a lost people we can't do it anymore someone needs to speak up and stand up and say no We want our land back and that's it. We don't want to fight. We just want what is ours back. That's it. But the government needs to hear that.
0: Somebody needs to hear that. I reached out to Parks Canada to ask for an interview, but they responded with an email statement stating they didn't have anyone available for me to talk to. Here's what
9: they wrote. Good afternoon, Brandy. Thank you for your patience. While we do not have anyone available to speak with you, we can provide you with the following statement on behalf of Parks Canada. The Government of Canada recognizes the past alienation and hardships experienced by Indigenous families and communities in the creation and operation of national parks across Canada, including Wood Buffalo National Park. In 2021, the Honourable Jonathan Wilkinson, Minister of Environment and Climate Change Canada, and the minister responsible for Parks Canada at that time, and Mr. Ron Hallman, president and CEO of Parks Canada, met with local Indigenous communities and leadership, including Athabasca Chippewan First Nation. The minister and Mr. Hallman offered an apology to the Indigenous leaders of these communities and to the Wood Buffalo National Park Cooperative Management Committee members for the harm caused by the establishment and past management of Wood Buffalo National Park. In June of this year, the Honorable Stephen Gilbo, the current minister, wrote to Chief Adam renewing the commitment made by Minister Wilkinson. ACFN had historically been excluded and barred from accessing the traditional territory within the boundaries of Wood Buffalo National Park since its establishment in 1922. Listening to Indigenous peoples as they share their histories and injustices experienced throughout the colonial establishment of this country is part of the healing process. Parks Canada continues to discuss the path forward in addressing this issue with ACFN through bilateral discussions and as part of the Cooperative Management Committee. As this process continues, all Treaty 8 rights holders and Métis peoples are able to carry out sustenance harvesting throughout their traditional territory, which includes Wood Buffalo National Park. It is in the spirit of collaboration and reconciliation that Parks Canada will move forward together with Indigenous communities in continuing to build a new shared governance framework for Wood Buffalo National Park. Kind regards, Natalie Fay, Chief Media Relations, Parks Canada. But Chief Adam told me the ACFN
0: aren't yet able to fully access their territories.
4: You know, we're not gonna let this go uh, we want to be repatriated, you know, in Wood Buffalo National Park. They can't give me a note and say, Here, Chief Adam, we want you to speak on our behalf and to say we're sorry, even though I passed a message on to them already that verbally they said that we're allowed back in a park. But until we get that formal letter from Wood Buffalo National Park, we are still considered to be outsiders here.
0: Six years ago, Chief Adam made a vow to his father on his deathbed and he says he'll carry out that promise in his father's honor.
4: My dad passed away in 2016, and uh, but before he passed away, we, you know, we sat down and we talked to each other about what had to be done and everything, and he basically told me straight out that my boy said that, you know, you're going to be the chief, and you're still going to be chief when the park is going to be settled, and I want you to settle it so, to make sure that we closed this file, and, you know, we are welcome back home again. And I said, okay, to him. And I made that my mission for this term, and
0: lucky now it's all going to happen. Margot says she will never give up trying to get back to Birch River. We need to
8: feel like, you know what, that we belong Somewhere. We need to feel like we belong to a land again. You know, we can't be just living and wondering and just floating around. You know, I'm 69 years old today. What are we going to leave? You know, my grandchildren, our children, they're going to feel like they don't belong anywhere. We can't live like that. At least, you know, let's try and find some peace, some place that we can say is ours once again, you
0: know, that's my wish. Sadly, this is what happened to other First Nations across Canada living on what are now national parks. They were exiled in the masses out of so-called Alberta's Banff and Jasper National Parks, Riding Mountain National Park in so-called Manitoba. It happened provincially in Ontario and Quebec, when First Nations were banned from hunting in their traditional territories after the creation of provincial parks. And Vancouver's Stanley Park banished the First Peoples there before it opened. The truth about these parks? Enjoyed by millions who flock there to take in a piece of the wilds? They're built upon the genocide of the First Peoples. Truth and reconciliation is on the agenda of the Trudeau government, so they say. Now these truths are getting out there. Time will tell if the feds intend to reconcile. And will that include justice, like Land Back? Canada always talks about reconciliation, and then they talk reconciliation action Mm -hmm. But when it comes to this, it seems stagnant Mm -hmm. in giving these territories back Mm -hmm. to their rightful owners. Mm
8: -hmm. I think that that would definitely give the people that feel lost, that feel like they don't have anywhere to belong, a place of peace again.
2: Hey, that's your Canada Land. If you value this podcast, please support us. You can email me. I'm at jesse at canadaland.com and I read everything you send. We're on Twitter at Canada Land and our website is canadaland.com. This episode was reported by Brandy Marin and produced by our audio editor and technical producer, Tristan Capicione, with assistance from Sarah Larniuk, Shuri Sutran, Jonathan Goldsby, and Cassidy Villaburn-Baracus. I'm your host, Jesse Brown. Our theme music is by So Called. Syndication is handled by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at CFUV.ca. You can listen to Canada Land ad free on Amazon Music. It's included with Prime. Hey, it's uh, Monday, December 12th, and that means it's the last day to take advantage of free shipping across Canada on the Canada Land Store, CanadaLandStore.com. It's also the last day to get your orders in before the holiday shipping cutoff. This is a great gift for somebody in your life who likes our podcasts or to get yourself something great. I have some pretty stylish and thoughtful colleagues who have created some pretty stylish and thoughtful merch T-shirts, duly noted notebooks, uh, duly toted tote bags, things that are not puns, all kinds of great stuff, socks and T-shirts, check it out, CanadaLandStore.com. Every purchase supports our journalism and will donate a portion of each sale to journalists for human rights in support of its Canadian programs. If you are a CanadaLand supporter via Supercast or Patreon, you can use your supporter discount code to receive 20% off everything In that store, again, that's CanadaLandStore.com to take advantage of free expedited shipping for the holidays Canada-wide today, December 12th. Hey, on Wednesday, December 14th, we will be at the Hot Docs Cinema in Toronto for a special live show with the Backbench. Yes, it's Mateo Roach live, the Backbench team, a panel of special guests, and maybe me. For a glorious evening, Of talking shit about politics. Listen, tickets are $15, but free for Canada Land supporters. It's going to be a fun night. Can't wait to see you. Get your tickets at hotdocs.ca. Supporters, check your email. You'll get info there on how to get your free tickets. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.